Well, once again, good evening, and what a blessed privilege it is to come together in a Bible class such as this, to be able to simply open up our Bibles and glean from God's uh, sacred writings. Thank you, Brother Larry, for that good prayer. We are studying prayer here on Wednesday evenings. A lot of different tidbits about prayer that I trust will be helpful because uh, these um, principles and ideas come right out of God's uh, Word. Uh, Our first excursion into prayer was uh, focused on the end of prayer, amen, and um, then we noticed an important statement from Psalm 46 where uh, the writer says, be still and know that I am God, and how important it is to carve out time Uh, for prayer. Last week we focused on a couple of the great prayers from the book of Acts. And so more uh, thoughts about prayer uh, this evening. If someone asks you, um, how is your prayer life? Would that be much different in asking you, well, how are you doing? How is your life? It really shouldn't be. It should be one and the same. If someone asks us, well, how are you doing? Prayer should be part of our lives. We have a tendency, um, in order to soothe ourselves, to divide our life into segments and and to uh, separate one from another. But really, it is a blessed privilege to live as a Christian. And it's a big privilege to be able to pray, to be able to pray. So we're going to give our thoughts uh, toward prayer this evening. I want to begin with this major thought, and that is how that the Bible encourages us to pray. Just for a few minutes, let's review how the Bible encourages us to pray. Not very long on this idea, but certainly something we should consider. How the Bible encourages us to pray. Notice, for example, one statement from Acts chapter 17 and verses 27 and 28. This is the great sermon of Paul in the city of Athens, as you know, and Paul had uh, established the fact that God created the world and God formed the, the nations on the earth uh, from one man, one blood. And, and he did all of this in order that man might seek after him, Acts seventeen twenty seven, That man might feel after him. Because God is not far from every one of us. And we are his offspring. In him we live and move and have our very being. To me, this is a great encouragement to prayer. First, because God is not far from, every, from any of us. He is well within reach. And secondly, because God has made us to be able to pray. He has made us and created us with the ability to seek after Him, to feel after Him, to recognize who He is, and to have the desire to draw close to Him. So notice that statement, a couple statements there in Acts 17, 27 and uh, 28. Another thought about um, how the Bible encourages us to pray, uh, I think about Isaiah 59 and verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 59 and verses 1 and 2. And you remember there that 
The discussion gets down to the fact that, that sin separates us from God, but it begins like this in Isaiah 59 and verse 1. It says, The Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither are his ears dull that he cannot hear. God can hear our prayers. He has the ability to hear every prayer that is uh, conducted toward him from a faithful heart. God can hear every prayer on earth. It's an amazing ability. His ears are wide open. Not that God actually has ears, but the Bible uses language that we can understand. God hears our prayers. And this is similar to what Peter writes in 1 Peter 3 and verse 12, where it says, God's ears are open unto our prayers. His eyes are upon the righteous. Don't you love that? His eyes are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto our prayers. We are encouraged to pray. God commands it. God encourages it. We have examples of prayer. And the Bible um, encourages us in this regard in many different ways. I'm just bringing out, of course, uh, a couple, two or three ways. One of the big ways God encourages us to pray is Jesus' statement in Matthew 10. And you will remember this. And this is This is a statement, Matthew 10, beginning about verse 28, 29. This is a statement where he's trying to give some courage to his his disciples. Fear not them, he says. Fear not them that kill the body. But after that, they have no more they can do. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. But then Jesus lifts up their spirits. And he says... um, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And yet, when one of those sparrows falls out of the ground, God knows. Can you imagine that? God knows the death of every bird, of every creature. He's very much aware of that. And the reasoning here with Jesus is, if the Lord is aware of that, then he's very much aware of our lives. But he goes on to say, that the very hairs of your head are numbered. I believe this is an encouragement to pray. Is there actually someone who really cares that much about us? Is there actually a God in heaven who cares, well, first, that he knows us this well, and then he cares enough to hear from us in prayer? No one knows us as well as the Lord. And yet, in spite of knowing us to the very details, the very minute details in life, yet He still wants to hear from us in prayer. To me, that's just remarkable. Remarkable. Along the times when I've thought about prayer, I think, well, surely God has more to do than to be concerned about my tiny stuff. You know. He doesn't want to hear about all the small things that pass through my mind and that occupy my mind. And, and yet, we find out He does. He does. He cares very much about every detail in life, every thought, 
every decision, everything. In fact, in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, Peter says, Cast all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. And so these different statements, I believe, bring out an encouragement to pray. Encouragement to pray. And I want us to remember these statements. Remember how much the Lord really does care for you. In fact, in spite of the fact that He is upholding the entire universe with the word of His power, yet He cares about what's going on in your mind tonight, right now, and later tonight, and everything that occurs with you and everything going on with you and with any of us uh, throughout the night and day. Encouraged to pray. Okay? I want to move on because I've got one particular thought I want to, um, I want to um, discuss with you. But before we get to that thought, here's another important second big idea about prayer tonight. And that is that knowledge of prayer... Uh, can be a great tool for sharing the gospel with someone. Okay. We need to always remember this. Everyone, we just noticed this from Acts 17, everyone wants to draw near to God. Everyone prays. Just about everybody we would, we would ever talk to about religion, they have prayed or they've thought about prayer or they've wondered about prayer. We can use what we know about prayer to teach the gospel. Here's Here's what we can do. Here's what we should do. We address God in prayer as Father. That's how Jesus teaches us. One way to address God in prayer is Father. Matthew 6 and verse 9. And this implies that those who are able to pray to the Lord are His children. His spiritual children. And then that can lead into a discussion, well, how does one become a child of God? How does, how does one um, know about the process of becoming a, a spiritual child of God? And then that, that can lead into just a few verses like uh, John 3 in the spiritual birth uh, process. And Jesus talks to Nicodemus about the spiritual birth process in John 3, 3 through 5. And And how that he said, uh, whoever is born of water and the Spirit, that is the one who gets to enter into the kingdom kingdom of God. But it's a spiritual birth. It's a rebirth. It's a new new birth. And those that go through that process are the uh, children of God. And several other passages that uh, can be mentioned along with that one, such as Titus 3, 5 through 7, where uh, Paul there says um, to be converted... Uh, we go through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So that's basically the same thing as Jesus just mentioned in John uh, 3. And Paul's words come to mind in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and 13. For by one Spirit are you, all, are you all baptized into one body. And notice how close that is to John 3 where Jesus said, you've got to be born of water and the Spirit and then you get you enter, you enter into the kingdom of God. We listen to the Lord, the Spirit's instruction about salvation in this New Testament. That leads us to understand about the Lord. Understand, as Larry was praying a minute ago, about repentance and faith. And then 
eventually immersing in water for the remission of sins and that that puts us into the body, into the kingdom, into the family of God, we're then the children of God. We can read like Galatians 3, 26 and 27, where Paul says, We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of us as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. So, talking about praying to the Father certainly implies that those that pray to the Father are children of God, and then that can be used as a method, as a, as a segue into talking about uh, salvation. There's nothing more important to talk about uh, than salvation. This is very important in our world because so much is misunderstood about prayer and salvation. Many of our religious neighbors will encourage someone to pray in order to receive initial salvation. That's just not right. That's not right. Now, Christians are encouraged to pray. And once we begin our walk with God, certainly we, we have the privilege of coming to God, confessing our sins, still trusting in the blood of Jesus, and we can receive forgiveness. But as far as initially becoming, beginning that walk with God, then uh, that, in, that has to come through gospel obedience. If anyone was ever going to be saved initially, first of all, through prayer, it would have been Saul of Tarsus, right? Isn't that what Saul was doing for three days after that he uh, met Jesus on that road and after he learned who Jesus was, after he learned how wrong he had been, what did he do for three days? Well, he went without food. Okay. He was full of remorse and regret and he prayed. Acts 9 verse 11 as uh, God prepares Ananias to go and talk to Saul about his soul, God tells Ananias, Behold, he prays. And he's been praying. Okay. But now that was not bringing Saul salvation. It wasn't. And it wasn't going to. But Ananias comes along and he says, now Why do you tarry? Acts twenty-two sixteen. To Saul, Ananias says, why do you tarry? Get yourself up. Get yourself baptized. Wash away your sins and call on the name of the Lord in this process. Or perhaps if anyone was going to be saved through prayer, it would have been Cornelius. If you read in Acts 10, 1 and 2, Cornelius was a very devout man. He was a very generous man. And he prayed to God always. If prayer was going to initially bring salvation to Cornelius' house, then that, that would, there would have been no need to send Peter. But that's, that's what Acts 10 is all about. It's Peter and Cornelius getting together so that Cornelius and his friends and household could hear the gospel from Peter, which they did. And Acts 10, 47 uh, has them being baptized uh, into Christ for the remission of their sins. And so prayer and the knowledge of prayer and our practice of prayer can help us to, to lead someone to Jesus, to share um, the gospel. The person who is going to have a, a life of prayer is one who obeys the Lord but also continues in a holy life. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, men are to pray everywhere lifting up holy hands. Uh, James 5.16, uh, 
as you know, says, uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. A righteous man avails much. So, you see, we're simply mentioning this to show that you can use the, the scriptures on prayer, the thoughts about prayer, the knowledge about prayer, and share those with someone. And as we said, most people that we speak, speak to um, will already have had, already have established in their hearts a need for prayer and want to know, will want to know more about prayer. And so certainly it can be used uh, in this way, in a, in a very good way. The Lord, I think the Lord would have us to do this. We need to be careful not to uh, pray to God for someone to be saved apart from, separate from gospel obedience. Now, I think it's just absolutely necessary to pray for someone to be saved. If anybody's lost, we want to pray that they get saved. But we want, we want to pray that they'll come in contact with the means to get saved, to be able to obey the gospel and be saved. The uh, book of Romans is wonderful about this. If you, if you just follow this out, Acts, um, Romans 10, verse First few verses, Paul says, Romans 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them record uh, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So Paul has been praying for his um, kinsmen in the flesh, the Jewish brethren, to be saved. But in the book of Romans, Paul goes over and over again, um, Concerning the conditions of salvation, like Romans ten seventeen, what does that say? Yeah. So faith comes by hearing. Romans ten seventeen. All right. Romans uh, two verse four: the goodness of God leads one to repentance. All right. Romans uh, ten nine and ten talks about how that uh, confession uh, is made unto salvation. Romans 6, 3, and 4 talks about we are baptized into the death of Jesus and raised to walk in newness of life. So when we pray for folks to be saved, to come to God, we're praying that they will come in contact with some means, some person, some, some way of learning these conditions uh, of salvation. Okay. Yeah. So we've noticed two big things so far. Uh, the Bible encourages us to pray a prayer can be used as a tool to bring someone uh, to Christ. Now, I want to get to this. You know that the Bible says we ought to pray without ceasing. Where is that found? We are to pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians. That's right. First Thessalonians. How much? First Thessalonians five seventeen. Five seventeen. You were close. Five seventeen. Five seventeen. Several wonderful short statements there toward the end of, of chapter five of First Thessalonians, and one of them is pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now I want you to start thinking about that. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? Pray without ceasing. And as you're thinking about it, let's notice a couple of verses that are close to this, like in Colossians 4, verse 2, Paul says, continue in prayer with thanksgiving. Continue in prayer. That's, a, that's praying without ceasing. Romans 12, verse 12 says about the same thing, to be constant in prayer, to be, to be patient in tribulation, uh, to be constant uh, in prayer. 
um, I think it's in Luke 18, verse 1, where Jesus said, um, uh, well, it's a comment about Jesus, how he was teaching people that they ought to always to pray and not faint. Luke 18, verse 1. Men ought to always pray and not faint. That's a great little insight there that prayer is going to keep us strong spiritually. It's going to keep us strong in faith. Men ought to always pray and not faint. Luke 18, verse 1. And so, praying without ceasing. Praying, what does that mean? What does that mean? Now, I heard a while back about that there, was, there were groups in, um, way back in the 1800s in different states. This particular example that I, I read about uh, was in Wisconsin. But there were religious groups uh, forming in, in different places. And they were tackling this statement. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? And one religious group got together and said, we're going to pray without ceasing. And so uh, different ones would pray in shifts. They would, they would, different ones would pray. While others slept, um, then there would always be somebody praying. They were trying to keep a prayer or prayers from that group going uh, without ceasing, without stopping. So they would pray in shifts. And then after that, after they did that for a while, then they recruited uh, surrogate prayers, people who just would come in, and when they could not pray, then they would have these people, and they would, they would pay them uh, while they slept to just keep praying. They wanted somebody in their group to, to continually uh, to be praying out loud, uh, to the Lord. Now, that's probably not what the Lord means when he says pray without ceasing, just to keep a prayer going. What does he mean? What do you think that praying without ceasing, uh, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Okay. Prayer, for attitude. prayer for attitude? Okay. Um, what What's conjured up in your mind when when you think about praying without ceasing, you think about somebody, you know, Luke 6, verse 12, says that Jesus prayed all night. Before he selected the 12 apostles, he prayed all night. That's another good insight into life. He prayed all night. And so when you hear about praying without ceasing, do you think about someone being up all night praying? Do you think about someone spending a lot of time on their knees? Do you have uh, memories uh, when you were little of men at church praying on their knees? I do. I remember several of our men at uh, the Curry Church of Christ where I grew up. Uh, several of them, when they, were lit, when they would leave prayer, they would come to the front and they would just get on their knees. Do you, do you, when, you say, when you hear pray without ceasing, you think about someone on their knees praying for a long time. When you read pray without ceasing, does it bring any guilt to you? Do you does it make you feel like that you're not doing enough in prayer? Does it, do you, does it challenge you at all? Be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of your blessings all in the day. And I've always 
our children were out driving or whatever, when I would hear that car come in and they were home, I would say, thank you, God. But looking every day at the events and the occurrences in your life, looking at your blessings, be aware of that and tell God, thank you for letting this happen today. Thank you for that beautiful sunset. Keeping him in, in your mind all day when, you, when you're out in your life. Okay. Uh, Sister Bertha is saying that to her it means being aware of your blessings all throughout the day and night. And when you realize that you've been blessed, to stop there and thank God for that blessing. And she was giving an example of, of when her children would get home and she would hear the, the door slam and know that they're home. She would stop right there and pray. So being aware of your blessings throughout the day helps uh, us to, to keep on praying. That's a good, a good way of looking at it. Very good. Okay? Someone else want to share your thoughts about praying without ceasing? International Standard Version translates that uh, continually be prayerful. A prayerful attitude throughout your life is what you say, whether it's your blessings or, you know, that, that should be the first thing you think about. Whether it's a blessing or whether you're in time of trouble or somebody else is in time of trouble. Okay. Read that again. Uh, international version uh, says, international standard version says, continually be prayerful. Continually be prayerful. Brother uh, Paul was pr uh, reading from another translation. Uh, continually be prayerful. And that does, as Mike was saying, it, it uh, brings out the idea of, of a prayerful attitude. We understand that in order to pray, we have to get our minds in a certain condition. Certain condition. And we also understand that it's really good to live life that way. It's really much, much better, much more pleasing to God that our minds would... If we may not be saying a prayer at a certain time, but our mind is ready to say a prayer at all times. And if we can strive for that, that would be uh, wonderful. You know, over in James 1, 19, 20, talks about listening to the Word. Um, be swift to hear, slow to speak. It says slow to wrath. And then what does it say? That's, that's, that's good, Chris. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And that is, in a sense, telling us that we cannot, we cannot be with God if our, in a certain mindset. For example, anger, wrath. Very difficult to worship when you're mad, when you're angry. It's very difficult to pray. Okay, it's very difficult to do much at all. It's very difficult to listen to God's word when we're full of wrath. Very difficult to pray when we're angry. Very difficult to, to uh, help someone if we're full of anger. And so it, James 1 is telling us it takes a certain mindset in order to understand the righteousness of God. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Okay? So praying without ceasing. Who else would like to comment on this idea, on this command? It's a command from God to pray without ceasing. Any other thoughts that come to your mind? Job was in all, 
Yeah. yeah. That's a good, good idea. Good thought there. Talking about Job and how that even though he was facing severe trials, he still, he still prayed. In fact, he went in and worshipped the Lord. He went ahead and worshipped the Lord and prayed to him and counted his blessings. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's very good. So we see that praying without ceasing uh, can um, be connected to the trials of life. Paul and Silas praying in prison. Yeah, very similar similar uh, condition there in Acts sixteen twenty five when Paul and Silas were praying in prison after having been beaten rather severely. Uh, they're still able to pray. Yeah, Mark's mentioning Jesus' story about the persistent uh, widow in, in what, Luke 18? Yeah, Luke 18. Jesus tells a story about being persistent. Jesus also teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Um, so the underlying idea, of course, is persistence uh, in prayer. Excellent thought here from Julie. Praying without ceasing means we can pray from any place. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a formal prayer. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. But any time, any place of the day, um, we can pray. It is a, it's a great privilege. Go ahead, Brother Larry. Larry's saying that the line of communication between us and God, just like a child to a father and parents and child, is constantly open, constantly open, and kind of connecting to what Julie was saying uh, just a moment ago. Brings to my mind um, one example, if you want to run run back with me to the book of Nehemiah, and notice a little little situation with Nehemiah in chapter... um, Chapter 2, Nehemiah chapter 2. You remember, Nehemiah is hearing about the condition of his 
his uh, home place back in Jerusalem. And uh, he's serving underneath a foreign king. And the king notices in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, King Artaxerxes notices that Nehemiah's face was sad. Nehemiah wasn't usually sad. Isn't that interesting? He's over in a foreign land, but he's not always sad. Uh, But the king noticed that. And so Nehemiah began to explain to the king the condition of his home people, his home place. And then if you notice uh, verse 4, the king said, okay, what are you requesting? Now what Nehemiah wants is the king to pretty much finance them going back and start rebuilding the walls. And this is about to be a huge request. And so notice Nehemiah 2 verse 4. The king says, what are you requesting? And then it says here, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah quickly prayed to God. Before he responds to the king, he stands there right before the king and he just says a little, I guess a little quiet prayer to the, to the God of heaven. And then he answered the king. And he says, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. But notice that he inserts a little prayer there before he answers the king. And that, See, Nehemiah had already led us in a prayer in chapter 1, a long prayer, but here's a short prayer. Okay, kind of a minute prayer, but very powerful and you can tell it, it helped him get through that moment. Because he wasn't, even, he wasn't quite sure what the king's response would be. David, you have Esther having the whole, the whole place of the Jews praying before she goes to make a petition to the king. If you don't understand that sentence, there's kids you could die. Yeah. But here's another thing for you. Prayer is appealing to our faith that there's somebody greater than we are that we can't see that's listening and it's going to help us. So we have to admit we can't make it on our own. We must have help from God and we must acknowledge that He is. Okay. So Mike is saying that prayer is basically us knowing that we need the Lord and that we um, we, we can receive help from Him but we've got to humble ourselves uh, before Him. Okay. Praying without uh, ceasing certainly means um, having a prayerful attitude. It means everything that you guys have said about it is just really, I wish I had been taking notes. It was really good. Um, it certainly means that um, we will never get through praying. Right? We will never get through praying. We can't just say, well, well maybe there's some help. Maybe there's some who try to do this, but it's not really real. But you really can't say, well, I'm through praying now. And we never get through praying. And it also means we can never pray too much. Pray without ceasing. Before our class ends, let's turn over together and read John 15. To a little couple, a verse or two there in John 15, which I think helps to summarize some of our thoughts tonight. John chapter 15. This is the Jesus' discussion of the true vine. Himself being the true vine and we are His branches. John 15 verse uh, 6. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Okay. That's not the kind of branch we want to be. But verse 7, John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Okay. Notice that great statement. That's a statement about prayer. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. Thank you so much for being part of our study this evening. And we'll continue some of these thoughts a little bit later on. We'll have three or four minutes of break, and then we'll get to our devotional.